episode is sponsored by Thrive Market. I can't even begin to tell you how life-changing Thrive Market is. If you've never heard of it, it's an online marketplace that sells all of the top organic, healthy, and high-quality products at wholesale prices. That's 25 to 50% off normal grocery store prices, and they ship right to your door. They literally have all of the products that I used to buy at the supermarket that I would feel so guilty about after because they were so expensive. So Thrive has thousands of products ranging from food to beauty to home to vitamins and supplements to pet supplies and so much more. I mean, the list really goes on and on and on. I like to think of it as kind of a combination of an online Whole Foods and Amazon. However, it's obviously all discounted. So you save money every time you shop. You might be wondering, how is this possible? What Thrive Market does is that they cut out the middleman and work directly with the brand themselves, allowing them to eliminate that crazy retail markup. When you become a member of Thrive, you pay $60 a year, but just to put that into perspective, you save about $30 on every order, so the membership fee essentially pays for itself after about the first two orders, and from then on, you can save up to thousands of dollars a year. Thrive Market is also so user-friendly and makes it super easy to shop. Every product is tagged by over 90 different values, so you can sort the entire website by categories such as non-GMO, organic, vegan, gluten-free, paleo, sustainably farmed, etc. I'm telling you, Thrive Market is going to become your new online obsession. So if you go to the show notes of this episode, you will see a Thrive Market link, which will give you an additional 25% off your first order, and you can see for yourself how amazing Thrive is and how much money you really do save using it. Make sure for your first order that you do not go directly to thrivemarket.com and that you instead click on the link in the show notes of this episode to ensure that you save that additional 25% off. Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. I'm here to share with you what I've learned in my seven and counting years of personal experience with chronic pelvic pain. Approximately one-third of women suffer from pelvic pain. It's an unspoken epidemic. So many of us have it, yet no one talks about it. However, the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence. The conversations are intimate, raw, and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. With education, patience, and the proper tools and techniques, pelvic pain can be overcome. Pain Podcast. Today I am here with a truly incredible woman named Tina. Tina's 34 years old and she is going to share her story with having Crohn's and colitis and how this contributed to her pelvic pain. She's had these diseases for over a decade and has really been through a tremendous amount. So I am so thankful that you're here today to share your story and to spread awareness and education on these really important health issues that aren't talked about enough. And Tina is also the founder of the blog Own Your Crohn's, and she is a big advocate for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. So thank you again, Tina. 
Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. Um, it's a pleasure to be here today. So like you said, my name is Tina. Um, I have had Crohn's disease um, for many, many years now. Um, I was originally diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2006. That diagnosis was changed to Crohn's disease in 2011, so five years later. Um, I have several other diagnoses, um, spondyloarthritis and sacroiliitis, so lower back pain, um, asthma, migraines, vertigo, um, among other intestinal issues. I have gastritis, um, chronic intestinal pseudo-obstruction, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and irritable bowel syndrome, just to name a few different things that I have going on and uh, have to manage. In addition to that, I have, um, like you mentioned, uh, a pretty chronic case of pelvic floor pain. Uh, pelvic floor dysfunction, I think, has been my diagnosis. Um, and I think it's really come from a number of surgeries that I've had. So I've had over 20 surgeries just for um, Crohn's-related issues uh, from 2008 to uh, 2015, all of which were abdominal and rectal, so you can understand that that can really play into the pelvic floor issues. I had um, five separate instances of, this is something a lot of people don't want to talk about, but I think it's really important to highlight. I've had five separate in instances of uh, rectovaginal fistulae um, and abscesses. So what fistulae are, or, or fistula is a singular term for that, it's like an abnormal sort of tunnel that's created between one organ and another, or like between an organ and skin. So in my case, um, what had happened is my the inflammation was so severe uh, in my intestines that it broke the lining of the gut and broke into the vaginal wall. As you can imagine, that was quite painful. So that's caused a lot of my pelvic floor issues. Um, I also had one pelvic fistula, so one that was lodged in my pelvis and it was coming from a very large pelvic abscess and it was headed straight for my tailbone and the surgeon had told me it could paralyze me until, unless he handled it immediately. So this has sort of been like an ongoing issue. It's been really difficult for me to tell what's pelvic pain, what's Crohn's disease, what's arthritis. Um, and uh, sort of breaking these like different diseases apart from each other. And in between all these surgeries, it's been really hard to tell what's what as far as pain goes. Because, you know, doctors will just give you tons of pain meds and you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, so my story, I, I don't know that my pelvic floor dysfunction has only been for maybe two, two and a half years. I think it's been a lot longer. It's just hard for me to pick apart what right. disease is what. Um, any questions from your end on, on what, I know it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. <laughs> your whole story is just like mesmerizing to me. <laughs> and I think that it's amazing that you're, you started, first of all, started your blog and are like a huge advocate for all of these issues because it's so important. And also, as you said, no one likes to talk about anything related to your vagina or your rectum Absolutely. or like your pooping and your stomach and all yeah. of those things that are just, I guess you couldn't use the term quote unquote gross. Yeah. And I mean, the first, the first step is just talking about it and spreading awareness. 
There's a lot of women that suffer from um, fistulizing disease. Can you explain exactly what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, so what happens with Crohn's and with colitis, but more specifically with Crohn's, because mm-hmm. Crohn's can affect you, um, can affect your body from your mouth to your anus, mm-hmm. and in some cases even beyond that. For mm-hmm. me, it's been be- beyond that. So what happens is that um, inflammation can develop in in the lining of your gut. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it might just be you might have looser motions, then it might turn into bloody stools. Um, then it might feel like shards in your bottom and just shards while you're eating, like in your stomach, um, like constant punching pain in your stomach. But what happens with Crohn's disease specifically is the inflammation can get so bad that it can ulcerate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll, it, it'll cause like little ulcers in the lining of your intestines mm-hmm. um, and they bleed. And that's where the blood comes from in your poop. Right. Um, what happens is it can run into your rectal area and then into your anus and and come out as blood. But what happens with a lot of people like myself is the disease could be primarily rectal. So mm-hmm. that's how mine started. So I was treated with a lot of enemas, mm-hmm. um, various kinds of enemas, including steroids, etc., to control uh, the disease. Even suppositories mm-hmm. are used a lot. Um, but over time, if you lo- use a lot of steroids in that area, it can also break down the lining of the right, gut, right. in addition to your disease also breaking down the lining of the gut. Right. What happens is when you have severe fistulizing disease is when those ulcers form, over time they can become so deep that they can break the skin of, of your intestines. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to an abnormal tract into another organ, your skin, like, you know, through your back, through your bottom. People have uh, fish to lay through their bottoms. Mm-hmm. People have them in their back. People have them in their tummies. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, most of mine ended up going from the uh, rectum into the vagina. Mm-hmm. And the reason why was what had happened to me was I had originally had my colon removed in 2008 because my colon was completely diseased. It was unrecognizable. The photos were just... Anyway, um, but what had happened was they had fashioned something called a J-shaped pouch out of my small intestine and stapled it together so that I would have a reservoir to sort of poop in. Um, that way I wouldn't have to live with an ostomy bag. An ostomy bag is like an external bag yeah. that you defecate into. So this J-shaped pouch is an internal sort of pouch that they create so that you can store stool. Mm -hmm. And then they staple that into a very small portion of your rectum because they remove most of your rectum in those Mm -hmm. surgeries. And so you start pooping like a normal person. You just poop six to eight times a day versus once or twice. Right. Um, And for some people, that works beautifully. Like, I think the statistics are like 90% of people who have those surgeries. It works beautifully. For me, it didn't. And that's why my diagnosis was changed from colitis to Crohn's. Colitis only affects, generally only affects the colon. Mm -hmm. And I only showed colonic disease for a very long time. But it turned out that my disease was more widespread. Right. And once my disease started attacking the J pouch, the area that they had stitched to the, like, very small portion of the rectal cuff um, broke through into my vaginal wall on both sides. Um, so I had multiple um, fistulae, and what they would do is they would bleed from there, they would mm-hmm. have infections, abscesses there. In your vagina. Yeah, and uh-huh. even, and this is something nobody wants to talk about, poop would come through, uh-huh. or mucus. Yeah. Um, from your stool, and obviously blood, and I had UTIs, like, I, I think I had like what felt like a chronic UTI. Yeah. 
I was on cranberry pills. I was constantly being treated with antibiotics. Yeah. It was very difficult to have sex because yeah. everything led to a UTI. I was doing maybe three or four times a day a sitz bath. Yeah. Are you familiar with yeah. that? Yeah. So it's basically like you have to soak yourself in um, this little bath that fits into your toilet. And um, with you can use Epsom salt. I use turmeric. But a lot of people use different things. or just plain warm water. Mm-hmm. And it would help to keep the fistula clean, but it would also help to soothe a lot of the pain, mm-hmm. rectal pain, et cetera. Because I was constantly bleeding and constantly in pain. And it was difficult to even walk or sit. So during that time, I had so much pelvic pain, but I thought it was all Crohn's related. I had no idea what pelvic yeah. floor dysfunction even and was. And you probably weren't even addressing it from that angle no. because you <laughs> were just so focused on the Crohn's and colitis yeah. that it wasn't... Yeah, and I, but I think in the last like couple of years, my doctors are starting to prescribe pelvic um, floor physical therapy mm-hmm. a lot more for Crohn's and colitis patients. Yeah, I know that they, my, my spe- specifically my doctors have seen it help me so much right. that I'm hearing a lot more patients come back and be like, oh, so and so prescribed pelvic floor physical therapy for me. What do you know about this? Right. It's gone to the point where like I run a women's support group. I used to run one and uh-huh. I'm starting a teen support group. But um, when I was running the women's support group for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, I had a pelvic floor physical therapist come in mm-hmm. who talked about it because they're starting to prescribe it so much more because they're starting to realize that there's like, um, there's definitely like a synergy between pelvic floor issues, colorectal surgery, and all these flare-ups of disease right. that we have with colonic and intestinal inflammation that's amazing yeah so i think it's it's come a long way but um doctors are starting to recognize that this is something that needs to be addressed completely yeah they removed my colon and they removed most of my rectum okay they left like i think like a centimeter or two of the rectum you were saying that the j pouch didn't it's something didn't work for you as it work would work for most people it got inflamed okay so that's when they realized that this was crohn's right because the j pouch is made of your small intestine right and crohn's is known to affect all of your gut and not just your colon your large intestine okay um, a lot of people don't re- know, and I didn't even know this when I was first diagnosed, that the colon and the large intestine are the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, colitis is generally limited to the colon, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Crohn's is throughout the intestinal tract and has multiple extra intestinal manifestations as well. So um, just going back to the J pouch, what had happened to me is it didn't break, but there was the lining sort of where there was a big, big ulcer where um, my J pouch was connected to the rectal cuff. That lining broke through. Okay. Um, that because it was so ulcerated, and that's basically fistulizing disease is the severest form of Crohn's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like I said, it can fistulize to any area of the body, but um, mine happened to break through, in through into the vaginal wall, and that caused a lot of scarring in, okay. in the vaginal area, the uh-huh. rectal area. Um, so that led to and contributed a lot to my pelvic floor issues. Mm-hmm. So now you, I mean, at this one, at this point you've been in chronic pain yeah. and your doctor suggested you go to pelvic floor physical therapy. What, so what led up to the physical therapy? Yeah, what led up to that? It was interesting because they didn't prescribe it for Crohn's. Right. What had happened to me was, so I had a, like a bunch of surgeries 
I had come back from the Mayo Clinic after um, my last few surgeries, and that's out in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. This was three years ago. And um, I started to develop pelvic pain, even though they were saying that I my Crohn's was not as active as before. So I was like, so what's going on with me? Why am I having all this pain here and all this pain here? They started- And your pelvic pain was like, was it vaginal pain or was it in your pelvic both area it was everywhere and rectal area right and even lower back right so they started to do a lot of testing on me Mm -hmm. um about two two and a half years ago uh two and a half years ago and they found out that i had um like si joint issues Mm -hmm. sacroiliitis Mm -hmm. in um, my lower back okay fine arthritis is correlated with crohn's disease so i was like okay but in addition to that i started having to pee Mm -hmm. like a ton I was in the bathroom like every half an hour Mm -hmm. peeing and then on top of that it started to feel like I had a UTI constantly again and I was like but you said I don't have any more rectovaginal RV fistulae Mm -hmm. they they closed them during surgery they used um medication to close them Mm -hmm. so I was like so what's going on why am I peeing like this and why is it like constant like burning pain yeah you know what a UTI feels like and my labs would come back, my blood work would come back normal. My mm-hmm. white blood count was not elevated. My urinary tests would come back normal. Mm-hmm. So they're like, what's going on with you? Right. So at that point, they were like, you know, my urologist was like, you know, I'm going to check you for kidney stones. I'm sending you for a CAT scan because maybe you have inter- interstitial cystitis. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have kidney stones. Maybe you have another Crohn's abscess or something that's causing this. And I was like, okay, send me for the CT. So he sends me for the CT, but it's not clear on the CT to him because he's not a colorectal specialist. He's not a surgeon or a GI doctor. He's like, it looks like either an abscess or like a huge cyst. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. So I was waiting for colorectal surgery to opine on this. And when they got back to me, they were like, this is a cyst. I'm mm-hmm. like, where would I get a cyst from? Is this cancerous? Like, what is going on with right. me? You know? So the way that it was explained to me, and I actually had to go back to Mayo Clinic um, to get a proper explanation, and they had warned me about this, actually, the year before um, when I was having surgery. They're like, we're seeing these small, tiny cysts in your pelvis. Mm-hmm. They're called peritoneal inclusion cysts. So what happens is when you have a lot of abdominal surgery, you get scar tissue, right. any kind of surgery, right? So, but because I lost my entire large intestine and I had so much inflammation, um, what was happening was I had tons of scar tissue from all the surgeries that I had, but that scar tissue was accumulating fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, so as it was accumulating fluid, it was um, like turning into cysts. And the cysts were growing because I still had inflammation in my pelvis, even though... I no longer had the organs to to get inflamed. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with Crohn's. It can be outside the intestines too, right. at least in my case, it right. is too. It's like a whole body experience for me, unfortunately. So these cysts were in my pelvis, but one was really large and it was pushing on my bladder. Mm. So here I was, I was on antibiotics for two months. For a UTI. Yeah, mm-hmm. because that's what it felt like and that's the only thing that felt like would help me control it, even though none of my markers were elevated showing that I had a urinary tract infection and nothing was growing, no bacteria was growing. So 
what they decided to do with me, and I, I get most of my care at Weill Cornell Medicine, um, they decided to drain the cyst. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty much like an operation, but like they put you under a CT scan and they guide a drain mm-hmm. um, to remove the fluid, the excess mm-hmm. fluid. Within days, the peeing, like the painful urgency had died down, but the frequency had not. So right. I was still going enough for it to be uncomfortable. I mean, I had a lot of pain from the procedure, mm-hmm. but other than that, like it was like night and day that I didn't live in the bathroom. Right. But during this time, like to get the frequency under control, my gynecologist stepped in. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't colorectal surgery or GI at this point, recommending pelvic floor physical therapy. It was my gynecologist. She's like, I think with um, the frequency of peeing, you should maybe consider pelvic floor physical therapy. So that's when I started out um, two years ago in physical therapy. So it took a while to get like all of this relatively under control enough for me to start PT. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's amazing that your gynecologist recommended yeah. pelvic floor PT because yeah. you could have easily had a gynecologist who would not have recommended that. Absolutely. Yeah. Not enough people know about it yeah. and the importance of it. So I think within weeks, I'd say maybe three weeks of starting pelvic floor physical therapy, like I was keeping one of those urinary logs Mm -hmm. um, that they have you keep. Mm -hmm. um, And my frequency went from like every half an hour down to every hour, down to every two. So I could live with every two hours. I mean, I still pee relatively frequently, but I also drink a lot of water to hydrate Mm -hmm. um, because I don't have a colon to store water. Right. So, um... That that's how um, my pelvic floor journey sort of began. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, I've had like a number of flare-ups with my pelvic floor, and I've come to realize that some of my Crohn's-related pain, or what I thought was Crohn's-related pain, was actually pelvic floor pain. Right. Um, so I've sort of picked that apart over the, um, realizing that maybe five years ago it was really pelvic my pelvic floor that was also acting up in the midst of my Crohn's flares. So I think it would have helped me mm-hmm. to have been in PT then right. um, significantly to control the pain. But right now, um, what, what I'm doing is I started off with twice a week mm-hmm. pelvic floor physical therapy. I went down to once a week. And they had told me, you know, you might need to come back once a month for a tune-up. But it's, it's to the point where I, if I don't go every two weeks, I flare Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those things that my gynecologist has sort of insisted that I do yeah. um, biweekly, yeah, at least, um, and it treme- it helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. So I know my PT does internal work. She also does external work um, to help ease a lot of the scar tissue. Mm-hmm. So I think with me, um, my pelvic floor issues are a lot of scar tissue from right. the fish, fistulas and right. stuff, but also from all the surgeries I've had. Um, and not just that, like, for me, my, my rectal area is stitched mm-hmm. after all the surgeries. I live with an ostomy bag. Mm-hmm. So I live with an external bag. Um, my J pouch was removed mm-hmm. because it, it was causing too many problems for right. me. So I live with an ostomy bag, which is perfectly fine, and I actually really love it, and Mm -hmm. it makes my life so much easier. Um, That's another thing nobody wants to talk about. Um, But I just find that all, like, there's a number of techniques that I use to keep my pelvic floor. um, Share them. (laughs) 
happy, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, Once exercise, I have to. Like, um, between the arthritis that I have and all this pelvic floor stuff that I have going on all the time, I find that if I don't make it to the gym to even do, like, light exercise twice a week or three times a week, I'm in pain. Yeah. Um, Just like the movement and the blood flow exactly. is game-changing. Exactly. Um, another thing is I have a TENS unit machine at home. So, like, I guess the yeah. neural electrical stimulator. That helps a lot. I use it externally, um, like, on my pelvis and also on my back, lower back and, mm-hmm. like, like on my butt, like, yeah. outside. Um, just to sort of get that b- blood flow going. Right. And, you know, because I feel like a lot of my nerves... After surgery, a lot of my nerves just, like, felt dead. I didn't feel anything in those places. Like, once I got off painkillers, like, it was just, like, I can't even feel my hand or this or that. It was really weird. So I think um, just to awaken all of that, I remember, like, in pelvic floor therapy, like, they would have me, like, try to engage my pelvic floor and, like, be aware of it. And I'm like, wait, I don't even know how. <laughs> yeah. Cause you just lose all that function, um, when you have surgery and when you're in bed all the time. So that was the other thing. I find that like my muscle muscles atrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't, um, exercise, I think walking New York city is great for that. Yeah. Um, but, um, all the exercise, the tens unit machine, something else that they gave me. Um, and again, nobody wants to talk about this, but, um, Vibrators help yeah. a ton with, uh-huh. um, like, especially like my kind of scar tissue type. That's pain. so interesting. It really helps. So if I find that I'm having pain, and I know because it's the site of previous fish delay that right. I had. Um, so like I have to use it to massage the area, um, oftentimes, um, and it helps the pain to dissipate. Wow. So that's worked for me as well. Um, something else that I use um, that my physical therapist recommended was the Sorola belt. I've never heard of that. So it's it's a belt that I know it's used for a lot of sacroiliac joint, uh-huh. like SI joint issues, but I find that it helps to just stabilize my pelvic Oh, I have too. heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. I find that it really helps to stabilize my posture and the way that I'm moving so that yeah. it doesn't my pelvic floor doesn't get all out of whack now that I'm aware of what a pelvic floor is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so those things all help, but medicinally, um, I can't take too many painkillers. Yeah. They're very constipating and they're very harsh on the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, like oral painkillers. Yeah. So something that I'm on for the Crohn's actually seems to help some of my pelvic floor pain and it's, um, medicinal marijuana. Yeah. So that's something you have to get a license for in mm-hmm. New York mm-hmm. um, and much of the tri-state area. But I find that that helps CBD oil. Yeah. Um, those are amazing. I used to use amazing. CBD oil a lot. Yeah. So helpful. It's extremely helpful. It's like, I know it's like the new miracle thing, mm-hmm. um, but I really do feel like within five or ten minutes, my pain is just so much less. Wow. Um, I can walk better and just function better with it the other thing that has helped me and this is when i have like a severe pelvic floor like Mm flare-up and i'll tell you also um like what contributes to flares for me yeah um in a minute um but (sighs) vaginal suppositories of volume Mm -hmm. i've used those too um do you find them helpful 
when I was having really bad flare-ups, they were super helpful. Extremely, right? Very. And I had stopped using them a while ago. I don't have them anymore. But when I first had my worst onset of pelvic pain, I was using them. And my gynecologist prescribed them to me, and they were really helpful. I think they are. And I think the, the thing is, like, you can tailor it to, like, if you don't feel like you need the whole thing, like I've, I've actually literally cut it, yeah. the suppository in yeah. half, and like my doctor's okay with that, yeah. just to sort of wean off of them too, mm-hmm. because apparently they can be addictive if you use for a long time, even right. though they're vaginal. Right. So I try to like use them for like a couple weeks and then wean off right. if I'm having a severe flare. Um, let me see, what else do I use? Um, I think, I think that's about it as far Mm -hmm. as things that I use um to control the pain and Uh, then can you also talk briefly just for a second about how diet plays a role mm -hmm. in like this whole myriad of issues so for me like diet's been like key um because I have so many intestinal issues you know um for me diet hasn't like cured my disease but it's Mm -hmm. definitely helped in certain ways Um, And, of course, supplements, too. For me, I have a lot of, like, other intestinal issues. I have to, me personally, I have to have, like, a um, Mm high-protein, low-carbohydrate diet, Mm -hmm. low, like, starches and sugars. Um, The the gut bacteria feed on sugars, Mm -hmm. and that can cause inflammation also. Mm -hmm. And in addition to inflammation, it can also cause, like, candida, which is a type of yeast to grow. Yeah, I've had chronic candida for years, so I'm familiar. too. Yeah. And things like small intestinal bacteria overgrowth come from candida overgrowth and, you know, just overgrowth of bad bacteria. So it's, those things are very uncomfortable, so I have to keep the sugars really low. Mm-hmm. That's what works for me. Uh, so I eat, I'm vegetarian, mm-hmm. um, so it's tough to be high protein, but yeah. like I find that I can do like the tofus and I can even do beans if they're cooked really, really well. Yeah. Um, and I get a lot of like avocados, so a lot of mm-hmm. like good fats in my diet, but I eat a lot of really well cooked vegetables mm-hmm. because what what all of this does to me is it constipates me if I don't, if I eat too many starches because the bad bacteria is feeding on it. Right. Um, so that all constipates me. And when I'm constipated, I find that the pelvic floor flares are much worse. Um, things are just sitting there, not really And then like moving. puts pressure. It puts a lot of pressure. I'm going to do an episode with um, Erica from Five Point next week about constipation and, and pelvic pain. It's, it's really... It's it's really it, an issue. Most people who have pelvic pain, I'm sure, get flares from being constipated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's definitely been, in recent times, cons- um, contributing to my own flares, yeah. um, as have other things. But recently, like, I was just diagnosed with um, something called CIPO, C-I-P-O, mm-hmm. um, which is an acronym for chronic intestinal pseudo-obstruction. Mm-hmm. It's a real obstruction, but it's a functional motility issue of right. your intestines. And what it's basically doing is your small intestines like holding on to the food so tight mm-hmm. because it feels like it's going to perforate, that it's just going to rip apart if it doesn't do that. And that causes chronic constipation. And that's what's going on with me. Interesting. And when that flares up, my pelvic floor flares up because mm-hmm. it's just all this pressure. It's a chain reaction. Exactly. In addition to that, um, just going back to like some of the things that I've noticed ca- cause flare-ups for me, um, 
airplanes. <laughs> oh my, I hate airplanes. Honestly, any moving transportation, yeah. moving forms of transportation, I do not do well in. Yeah, airplanes, cars, buses. I have like four boats. different kinds of cushions for my butt just to like help with that. I sit in a, I sit in a twenty minute cab ride and I'm like in pain. That's that's <laughs> me too. Yeah. Airplanes, cars, buses, and trains for sure. Cars can be really bad. Really bad. Um, I dread car rides. I do too. <laughs> it's it's really awful. And like now I know like when we're like renting a car to go yeah. somewhere, I know which car to make sure like that we get or which class of car to right. get that won't cause me to be in pain. Exactly. Yeah. So um, th- those like just sitting for too long and sitting in some like mm-hmm. in a tight sort of space, space. Mm-hmm. makes it so much worse where you're not moving. Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely sets me off sitting on the floor. Sets me off mm-hmm. really bad. Um, like these long type of flights or long car rides. Forget it. I'm done. Yeah. Um, so all those things set me off. The other thing that I've noticed is like if I'm just like, Say I'm like at a concert or I'm just sitting for like through a lecture for a long time, it starts bothering me then too. Yeah. So I'm like literally carrying around cushions wherever I go mm-hmm. <laughs> just to make it that much more comfortable. Right. Um, and then I'll go home and use like a tens unit machine to make sure it calms down. And to like address it immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I have a question for you. Yes. Did you um find the vaginal volume suppositories made you sleepy? No. Oh my god, I would like pass out. That's another reason why I do not love using them, especially That's during so the day. It's so interesting because also everything makes me tired. Like I'm so sensitive and I'm naturally just yeah. chronically tired. Yeah. And I never found that out. My my gynecologist would say, "Oh, like be careful, like don't really don't drink when you have it. Don't mix yeah. it with other medicine. Yeah. Like you it might make you sleepy, yeah. etc." And I was like, "I literally don't feel anything." Like for a while they were helping and then I was using them and they weren't really helping as much and I was also starting to feel better and I was like oh I think it's like placebo I didn't even feel anything I never felt tired nothing I was like there's no way this can have like quote-unquote drug interactions or like alcohol interactions but that's so interesting that they made you tired yeah no within a half an hour like I'd be up and about my day at like 10 a.m wow use the suppository by like 10.30, I'm like woozy. I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like naturally wired, especially in the yeah. mornings, even though I'm like always tired. In the mornings, I tend to be like, especially late mornings, I tend to be wide awake. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like ready to go back to bed again. Wow. <laughs> so I I prefer to use them at night. At night. <laughs> for that reason. Yeah. And like sense. the CBD during the day or yeah. something. Something else that I found really helped, and I noticed that you have... um. Uh, you have a podcast on this as well, acupuncture. Mm-hmm. It helps a ton with Amazing. pain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, acupuncture helps. I've also found that massages help a lot. So yeah. I find myself going for more massages than I used to because <laughs> it really helps with all the, like, the hip and pelvic pain. And just like blood flow. It Absolutely. And inflammation. Absolutely. I love massages. And, and acupuncture. Everything. It just relaxes all the spasms. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of mine is like spasming Yes, muscles. me too. I have the same. Not as extreme as you, but... It's... Well, <laughs> <I, laughs> There's no competition. It sucks regardless. <laughs> but I have my own muscle spasms. Like Fair in my enough. back and my pelvic floor. And 
massage is amazing acupuncture is amazing no no, no. it definitely um helps a lot mm-hmm. um something that i've had to see like a pelvic um physiatrist for uh-huh. um i saw one up at wild cornell yeah. medicine and she had given me um vaginal trigger point injections yeah at one point we had trouble getting my flares under control so right. even though you know the urination had died down i was still having a lot of pelvic pain and was i think it like what can you explain what the pain was like specifically sure. so like the lower abdomen area uh-huh. i've had a lot of surgery there and it, it's hard to know I'm, I'm sure i have scar tissue there right there was a lot of pain like above my pubic bone right um and it just makes me feel like i have to pee but i don't have to pee yeah um and there's no cyst because i've been checked multiple right. times o- over um and i'll get back to the cyst in a minute but um it also like for me it's a lot of left-sided vaginal pain Mm -hmm. and um like internally Mm -hmm. and why that is is because i've had a lot of fish to lay there but um the other issue is at the mayo clinic when they were um re-excising my j pouch Mm because i had my j pouch removed Mm -hmm. at cornell but that surgery um had some errors to it so uh mayo clinic had to correct the surgery um over a series of procedures so what they did was they had to create um, a wound, like a, uh, they had to create a separate hole through the side of my bottom. And it was the size of a small, small football, mm-hmm. like a small football. And um, to remove the really large abscess that I had and pieces of J pouch that were still remaining inside of me that were causing inflammation. So in order to do that, they created this large sort of um, wound inside, uh, through the side of my bottom. What happened was they left a wound vac. It's a vacuum, like it has negative air pressure that's basically pulling that wound closed. Mm-hmm. I had a wound vac attached to me for um, five weeks. This was three years ago. And I was in the hospital during that time um, out in Minnesota. And to, to close that wound was so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, every other day, I had a procedure under sedation to clean out the wound just to make sure I didn't develop any infections. So there's a lot of manipulation that went wow. on there. Um, and when they finally pulled it out, and this was like Labor Day weekend three years ago, it was still a three-inch deep wound um, that needed to be packed for another month. And then it finally closed, which was a miracle because mm-hmm. nobody thought this thing would close. Um, I saw pictures of it and I was like, there's no way that's closing. Yeah. This is pretty large. Anyway, so it finally did close, but what was left behind was a lot of pain mm-hmm. and a lot of scar tissue. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, if they go all the way up into your pelvis from your bottom and create a brand new hole to do that and wound to do that, there's going to be significant scarring. So I found that I have a lot of pelvic issues because of surgery yeah and because of that surgery specifically um so all of this stuff has sort of contributed to my pelvic pain i think there's multiple issues there's the cyst on my bladder um the fistula all the scarring um and just residual pain probably from inflammation in that area yeah um just going back to the cyst um something that kept happening like so i had that cyst drained two summers ago um it kept recurring mm-hmm. it kept coming back mm-hmm. and it got to the point where um you know while cornell had drained it once mayo clinic told me 
you're not to have that drained again. I'm like, so what am I supposed to do? Because I'm peeing a lot again. Because within six months, it came back. Mm -hmm. And they had warned me about that. And they were like, look, you've had so much manipulation done to your pelvis. You could be at risk for a chronic pelvic infection if they keep putting drains in you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, so what do you want me to do? And they were like, the one thing that we've seen work on a couple of patients of ours is high-dose birth control. So I have Crohn's in my reproductive area as Mm -hmm. well. I have a lot of inflammation where the fallopian tubes are, uterus, all of that, Mm -hmm. ovaries. It's hard to really tell what's what in there because everything's so inflamed. Mm -hmm. So what Mayo Clinic decided to do was put me on really high doses of birth control. Mm -hmm. They wanted Depo Provera, Mm -hmm. which is the injection. But my gynecologist here was like, that's going to be too much for you. And it's not something that can be reversed. Once you get the injection, that's it for three months, right? Or something along those lines. And so she's like, I would feel more comfortable if we used same mechanism progesterone. Mm-hmm. Estrogen can cause blood clots, especially in patients with Crohn's, which could be, which could lead to many other issues down right. the line, flare-ups, etc. So um, my, gyne- my gynecologist was like, let's start with a small dose of progesterone, keep building up. So it took several months to build up, and um, we got to a pretty high dose of progesterone. I was having mood swings. I was like nuts <laughs> during this time. It, it took a real toll on me. <laughs> um, but I did find that after six months, the cysts had were not showing up on wow. MR enterographies, on MRIs. So it took them away almost yeah, completely. Yeah, it basically took them away. Wow. So instead of surgical manipulation constantly and putting me at risk of chronic pelvic infections, right. which could have been a disaster, the birth control worked. So in the last six months, my gynecologist has been pulling back. Mm-hmm. So we've halved the, the dose from the highest dose that mm-hmm. I was on. Um, but so far, so good, knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> um, the cysts seem to be under control. But the best benefit, I think, that's come from that, and I mean, the cysts are the best benefit, but mm. also I don't have a period, which is freaking amazing, yeah. <laughs> if I can say that. Um, with Crohn's disease, the getting your period once a month throws off your bowels like crazy. Yeah. I think for the average woman, it does. Yes. So, like, I was, like, pooping, like, crazy that, like, during that week. And it was just, like, a nightmare. And I would find that I would flare up more during that time, in addition to being on edge and just moody. Mm -hmm. But, like, it was just a terrible time of the month. And, like, that fluctuation in hormones can really throw off bowel disease. Yeah. So um, they were, first of all, my gynecologist and my GI were just like, why do you still have a period after all these surgeries? Like, um, it was one of those things. They're like, we're stopping it. Enough. You don't need the fluctuation. You don't need the flare-ups. So the, the, the cyst thing and wanting to stop my period kind of coincided, mm-hmm. I think. And it turned out to be a good thing because I feel like emotionally I'm more stable, but also like I don't have that weird fluctuation right. of hormones that contributes to my disease as well and probably contributed to my pelvic floor issues as well. It, you know, I'm with sure. the cyst there and all this other stuff. And we've just noticed that there's less inflammation in my reproductive area as a result of that. Mm-hmm. I do worry about long-term use of hormones, but if it's given me some quality of life back, I think I'm trying to sort of live in the moment. I agree. And that's all you can really do. Like there's, 
only so much you can plan and so far ahead you can think when if you're not feeling well today you have to address it today exactly exactly um so it's i've found that it's a lot of work to manage yeah. the pelvic floor issues yeah. like you've heard about the various therapeutic modalities yeah. i use in addition to physical therapy it's a lot of work to manage but i find that um it helps me feel better too just the exercise mm-hmm. it helps like pull me out of like a bad mood or mm-hmm. feel like a depressed state or even an anxious state um and i just feel better than just being on pain meds all the time yeah trying to take care of all of this so it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of effort but there's no greater satisfaction than taking care of your own body in my opinion yeah um because it is we might not have control over our diseases um whether we have one or ten it doesn't really matter we might not have control over how the disease might turn out but we can control our own attitude and we can do things to help manage that mm-hmm. and that gives us a little bit more control over our own health and just our sanity in general and dealing with completely our health issues speaking of sanity <laughs> <laughs> you've obviously been through a tremendous amount um and besides for the physical mm-hmm. stress and the physical pain there's of course a large mental component that comes along with all of that so how have you dealt with the mental stress anxiety depression everything that comes with having chronic pain and surgeries and trying to figure out you know how to live through all of this how have you dealt with that a lot of therapy. A lot of therapy, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm just being completely no, honest. No, therapy is amazing and honesty is amazing. Yeah. So. No, it's just one of those things. Like, I recognized when I had first come down with severe bouts of illness that I needed help. Yeah. Because I, had, I was living with my mom in right. New Jersey and she was having to take care of me. I was 24 years old. Right. It's not like a way to live I had a Wall Street career for two years before that yeah two and a half years before that and it's just like I went from rags like from riches to rags yeah and it just felt like the end of the world and I was in this consistently depressed state for like six months I didn't see many of my friends didn't talk to anybody my mom's like okay we need to get you some help right so um I think therapies really helped me a lot Mm -hmm. but also like things like meditation Mm -hmm. um things like trying to see past the illness so for me it was a lot of keeping in touch with my friends even if that meant over the phone or on things like facetime um trying to get out when i could Mm -hmm. because with flare-ups whether they're related to the pelvic floor or to crohn's like you live in the bathroom a lot yeah and it's it's not a way you want people to see you because i was like 85 pounds which is like 40 pounds lighter than what i am right Mm -hmm. now and like I was living with like feeding tubes and lines in my arms and like it was just it was and I couldn't eat it was it was no way to live something that I've learned over the years is don't resist the medication if you absolutely need it mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to take medication mm-hmm. and I understand that there's they come chock full of side effects yeah but I feel like if something can give you quality of life and you can avoid more extreme things like surgery Mm -hmm. um i'm willing to do it and it took 
10 years for me to get to that point yeah. you know like the hormonal stuff's one example right um i'm on major major like immunosuppressing biologic drugs right. and chemotherapy to control my Crohn's from right. spreading. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a deep awareness, a deep acceptance. Okay, this is a lifelong condition. Mm-hmm. And when you're first diagnosed, and that too at a young age, you're like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. And it is, mm-hmm. to a degree. Mm-hmm. But it is, it might be the end of your life as you know it, but you can create a new life. Mm-hmm. And you can create a life full of meaning. And mm-hmm. I've learned that through disease. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people ask me, if I could do this all over again, would I remove the disease aspect? Maybe a few years ago, I would have said yes. But today, I would say no. Maybe we could have removed a few surgeries, I'm not going to lie, especially the Mayo Clinic bits. Um, But I've learned a lot through having chronic illness in my 20s. Did I miss out on a lot of stuff? I did. And I felt like I was a bad friend, and that took a toll on me psychologically. Mm -hmm. A bad Mm -hmm. friend, a bad family member. But it was like, this is something that's chronic. It's something that I have to live with the rest of my life. And that was the hardest thing for me to accept. I thought I could beat this like people say they can beat cancer. Mm -hmm. Even cancer can be chronic, it can come back. Mm -hmm. The thing about this is this keeps rearing its ugly head whenever it wants. Right. I know that my Crohn's can come back at any time and that scares. That scares me so much. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I've learned to sort of live day by day and in the moment because Otherwise, I would make myself nuts in the process, like worrying about what's going to happen two years from now or even tomorrow. So I think therapies really helped me with that acceptance process and realizing that I think it's helped me realize not just therapy, but the illness itself has made me realize who I actually am and what I want from life, that I want to live a more meaningful life, that I want to help other people. And that's something like, something I did that I've been doing for years, even though I started the Own Your Crohn's blog just in the last six or eight months, it's been like a lifelong sort of thing, not lifelong, but like lifelong as far as my illness goes, where I've been helping other people with the same illness, whether it's like mentoring programs through the foundation or just through um, family or friends, people connecting me, I'm talking to them and helping them with their illness and managing it. Um, Now it's sort of out there that I'm doing this and I've come forward with my story, which was very hard to do, but I felt like it was an essential step for me to accept who I am, Mm -hmm. give myself that kind of love that I deserve, the self-love. That's something that I've learned through this whole chronic illness process. Um, And also give back to a community that really needs it. Whether it's the Crohn's community, Crohn's and colitis community, whether it's the pelvic pain community or just general women's health and just general like well-being for young people with chronic illness it's not a joke it's like your whole life is completely derailed when you get diagnosed with something like this yeah whether or not you lose your job it's a whole new life that you have to adjust to yeah you know in that process and it's it's a very difficult thing to accept because you're like, okay, I'm at the top of my game. Here I am in my 20s. I can do whatever I want with my life. The world is my oyster. And then all of a sudden, your entire world comes caving in on you. And you're like, what just happened? Um, 
so it's 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 a really tough process to accept all this but i think coming to terms with that has really helped me on an emotional level like i'm not i'm not on any antidepressants per se but i do go to therapy pretty often just to sort of manage the anxiety around having an illness or several illnesses that can just show up whenever they want um but also to try to be a part of society again yeah this is something that people don't really talk about or maybe realize very often is that when you've been living in and out of the hospital for so long and then suddenly they get your underlying disease under control even though everything else is kind of haywire as far as chronic illness goes is that you have to be a part of the world again yeah um you have to be that good friend again you got to learn how to be a friend or a family member again because when you've been cooped up in a hospital you don't have to do as much of that Mm -hmm. and i think people don't realize this but like it's a whole new adjustment process to figure out who you are like your your entire personality isn't this disease or several diseases and um trying to be a part of or a member of society again and trying to get back up on your feet maybe work or go back to school it's a process after 10 12 years of constant disease and surgery so um and you you find that you have to keep reinventing yourself otherwise you're going to just be stuck in that rut so i i think mental health and physical illness go hand in hand to go back to your question like even though your physical health may come back sometimes it's tough for your mental health to follow and um a lot of times like you have to actively work on the mental health to bring it up to par with maybe where you're feeling physically during that time you know um so i i think it's it's definitely a balancing act but um and i'm not saying it's a walk in the park at all because it's not it's a lot of hard work to get your mental health up to par with you know feeling a little bit better and being able to do the things that you want to do because it's honestly really easy to just go back into your shell yeah and hide back out yeah and not want to be a part of the world um it's really easy to do it's really easy but it's really tough to make something out of yourself reinvent your personality after all of this and i think that that's what i'm trying to do with my blog Mm because i really do try to live in between doctor's visits and i have a lot of doctor's visits just because i'm out of the hospital doesn't mean that there does there aren't a lot of there isn't a lot of maintenance that goes on so tons of infusions and iv medications um uh physical therapy as you know acupuncture just to make sure that i don't slip back down yeah um but it takes a lot of willpower to want that yeah. So I think well-being, whether it's mental um, and or physical, it's a lot of work. And it's a, a tremendous commitment. amount of work. And it's a commitment to yourself. Yeah. And wanting that for yourself. So I think having seen what it's like to be down in the dumps, I want to be um, in the best health, the best shape that I possibly can be. So I've made that commitment to myself and mm-hmm. promised myself that I'm going to try. And I can't control the outcome, but I can control how I sort of handle it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I've been doing and how I've been trying to manage all this, all these ups and downs with And it's all you you can do, really. It really is. Yeah. It really is. And I want everyone 
listening to I mean I'm sitting in front of you but I want everyone listening who's not sitting in front of you to know that not only do you look amazing and I, I know that looks aren't everything but if someone were to look at you they would have no idea yeah. about any of what is going on in your life which in itself is a huge statement that you really don't know what's going on in anyone's life just by the way that they look yeah but you look incredible and Thank you. Yeah, of course. And not only that, but like your mental power and determination and perseverance to be able to rise above all of these challenges is rare. And you're also married, which you touched upon. And you have a beautiful ring on your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So... Can you also just talk about like how being in a relationship and and having a husband through all of these challenges, what that's been like and and how you've been able to have a relationship through all of this? Because so many people who go through any chronic illness, it's really hard to have a relationship. Absolutely. Whether it's a friendship or a husband or a romantic or a family or anything relationships are hard as you as we've talked about absolutely and you add chronic illness to the mix or several it's it's a huge (laughs) dent on the relationship i'm glad you're asking about that and it's it's not something many people ask about yeah ask me about specifically so i I, i'm i'm really glad that you brought that up it's been extremely challenging and um we met uh, right around the time that I was diagnosed, mm-hmm. within um, a few months after I was diagnosed, and I had mild disease. And so we met about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I told him like a few weeks into our relationship. So I told him that I had this. And the reason why I wanted to make it a point to tell him before we got really serious is because my father and my aunt and their aunt died of this condition Mm -hmm. so of Crohn's disease that Mm -hmm. turned into colorectal cancer Mm -hmm. so what happens is once you've had Crohn's or colitis for eight to ten years the the risk of you getting colorectal cancer significantly increases Mm -hmm. Um, so my father passed at 39 Mm -hmm. my aunt passed at like 42 Mm -hmm. and their aunt I'm not sure that was back in Pakistan so Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but the the point is I wanted to make sure he knew what he was getting himself into mm. because, you know, this is re- really heavy stuff. Yeah. That said, I was hoping he would say he would be okay with it because it was early enough that our foundation was still building. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't like the first two or three dates um, either to like scare the guy away. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a little strategy involved. <laughs> there's a little bit of strategizing involved. So anyway, I did tell him and I did tell him how like that mm-hmm. this is mild now, but I'm telling you because two years from now or five years from now, if this gets really serious, I don't know if I can that I'll be able to take you walking out on me then. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, he's been through some stuff and he's like, you know, it's really rare and hard to find somebody that you really connect with emotionally. Yeah. Um, I, this is not something I'm just going to walk out of. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. if we're getting along and if we're um, otherwise compatible, 
this is not a reason for me to walk out. That's yeah. what in sickness and in health is. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. <laughs> Can I say I love you right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't. But um, <laughs> but I, I really appreciated yeah. that. You know, I think that there are some accepting men out there, many um, that I've heard even through my women's group um, that have similar stories of men accepting them. Um, and it's just very endearing to hear. But it, that said, that was sort of the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get really sick within two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was living in the hospital for a good chunk of our relationship. It's been really hard on him. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say it hasn't been, um, but he has been my rock. And I think him and my mom sort of worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, he works a pretty stressful career mm-hmm. uh, as it is. So he, he's able to provide really good health insurance for me on that level. And I'm very appreciative of him for that reason too. Um, but my mom's done the majority of the caretaking. And so it was sort of like this agreement between them. Like, if you could help us out with this, because it was very difficult for me to take care of myself. Yeah. And he has a very stressful career. I think if my mom had not been a part of that mix, perhaps our relationship could have fallen apart. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's always on my mind that I'm grateful to both of them for making this work for me and for my mom in really being like the glue in our relationship and keeping it together. Because when things would really get rough for him, because he was in his 20s, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the same age as me. So it was like he was missing out on events. He was yeah. mis- he felt like he was being a bad friend because he had to be in the hospital. And it got to a point where I was encouraging him to just go out. Even if I'm in the hospital, just be, be a good friend to your friends, too. Yeah. And I think it, it takes some recognition and self-awareness that there has to be a balance in life. And I, I want... I really did want the best for him and I wanted him to have a life outside of me, but I also needed him as well. So it was really a balancing act there too. Um, He had to make a lot of decisions um, and at times even decisions on how to handle my healthcare. With my mom, they would make certain decisions when I've been really sick. And I think that's been really stressful to ask of somebody who's pretty young um, and doesn't have experience in the healthcare industry it's it's they're really difficult decisions to make but you know he makes me believe in um in in love in a world where love and marriage seems to be on 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 the out you know on the way out um so it's he makes me believe in that he also makes me believe in uh the fact that there are people who actually do care for you and recognize that there is something to being with a person with chronic illness. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine who um, is a man with who is also chronically ill uh, last week, and I was telling her that I think what what my husband had said was there's something different about being with somebody with a chronic illness. It's you live day to day, but you enjoy that day of good health to the maximum Mm -hmm. so even though there's highs and lows with the other person's health he's like when there are highs there's like these amazing highs with Mm -hmm. that person you through you like go through it all with them yeah and 
he also says to me that there's like this amazing sort of gratitude that we have for being alive. I've had four near-death experiences over the years. And he's like, the way that you appreciate life, I'm not sure that I would see in other people. Yeah. And so the fact that he recognizes that there's positives to this, and trust me, there's been many times that we've nearly fallen apart. Yeah. Um, during surgeries, during recoveries, um, me being on prednisone and putting on 40 pounds, like, you know, 40 pounds more than this. <laughs> so it's just, and the fluctuations in, in the weight or the fistula, like, it took a huge toll on our sex life. Um, and just... I wanted to ask about that, yeah. too. It's tough for me to talk about. Yeah. But, like, it's definitely gotten better because yeah. the, the fish delay are under control. Yeah. I tried as much as I could when I could. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I would just be like, F it. I'm yeah. doing this anyway because I was a young woman. Like, mm -hmm. okay, if that flared up a UTI, so be it. Mm -hmm. I had to sort of live in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, has it been difficult? Yes, but it's getting better. And I think pelvic floor therapy has helped with that. So too. helpful. I'm sure. Um, it's helped a lot with the, the pain involved in sex. Um, it's helped a lot in just every aspect, um, like of, of my physical well-being, but also in our, you know, relationship in our relationship. Yeah. So I definitely like encourage it for, for that reason as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that, um, it's really difficult to be married um, through this, but if you have somebody who's really supportive and cares, um, he might not be able to come to every appointment or every major thing that you might have going on, but as long as you know, you know that he has your back and that he's gonna take care of you, um, I think that's the majority of the battle. My husband travels a lot. Um, he works insane hours, so I don't see a ton of him, but I think between me being so busy with my stuff and him being so busy with his job, we appreciate the time that we get together and we make the most out of it as much as we can. And I, I'm not going to lie. There were a lot of times when I felt really guilty about being sick all the time and not being able to do go on vacations like our friends, like abroad and to all these exotic places. Vacations have been really tough too, mm -hmm. especially with eating out and pooping and <laughs> peeing and everything else um, and plane rides, <laughs> etc. But I've learned ways to sort of manage and make it work so that I can make him happy too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's part of what goes into marriage. Like I know that he's sacrificed a lot for me and I think part of what keeps me going and part of that commitment that I mentioned earlier that I've made to myself to keep myself as well as I can is so that I can leave, lead a fuller life with my husband, do mm -hmm. the things that he wants to do too. Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of what goes into a marriage. You know, you think, oh, this person's doing so much for you, but like, I really care for him too and I wanna do the things that he wants to do too, so part of that is trying to keep myself as well as I can so that I can own my Crohn's and lead the fullest life possible to be with him as much as I can. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so that's part And it's of like it. the more that he does for you, the more that you want to be able to do for him. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's um, one of those sort of synergistic mm -hmm. things is 
you know, uh, there's so much that goes into a marriage, but trying to keep it healthy is, is, you know, doing your part too. And not feeling guilty about it, but, and that's inevitable. You're going to feel guilty if you have chronic illness. Yeah. But trying to do your best when you have those moments of health or days in between of health to do things that he wants to do too and have fun together. You know what I mean? So it's just... um, I'll listen to every little thing that he says. Oh, how about this? How about we go to the High Line today or this or that? And then even if I can't do it that day, I'll remember for a month from now or two mm-hmm. months from now, hey, let's do that today because I'm feeling well. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things that you kind of have to balance and work with and around along with your chronic illness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's how I've been sort of managing my marriage as best as I can it's really admirable thank you (laughs) I mean a lot of work (laughs) it's hard to it's hard for anyone I think to be in a marriage honestly like marriage isn't easy let alone for two healthy people yeah so to be able to manage it given your circumstances is really really incredible incredible is an understatement thank you I think um, I remember when I would be in the hospital, I would have friends who would come and visit and they would ask me, you know, like, how do you keep going? Yeah. And I'd be like, it's not for me. It's for those two. And I would point to my mom and my husband. Yeah. And they worked so hard to keep me alive and well, along with, of course, my efforts. I'm not going to, you know, downplay that. But... They worked so hard and they were there. They gave me that face time. They gave me that attention um, and love and tender care um, that I needed. I, this is the least I can do yeah. is try to keep my well-being up for myself and for them and try to make this chronic illness work and not fall into depression because they've given me another life to live. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's sort of gets woven into the whole concept of gratitude for me. It's just, I'm so grateful to them for doing what they have to keep me here and well, that this is the least I can do to, you know, be a part of their lives and enrich their lives now that I can do that. So... And I'm sure it's also been really rewarding for you to be able to spread awareness on all of these issues. Oh, absolutely. Um, And to connect with people who have similar issues. Absolutely. So one of the things that I'm doing is some freelance writing. Mm -hmm. I've written for a bunch of publications, but uh, two prominent ones um, that I write columns for are IBD News Today, Inflammatory Bowel Disease Today, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Ostomy Connection. So um, one thing that I'm doing with Ostomy Connection is interviewing people of different cultures with ostomies because it's such a taboo. Mm -hmm. Like, we think it's a taboo in America, but you go to India, you go to Mexico, people don't get jobs because of it. Mm -hmm. People don't, um, they can't live their lives. They get divorced, they get abused. Um, It's just such an awful situation. They sell fake bags there, fake ostomy bags, because they're so expensive. Um, just to get a box of 10 ostomy bags could be like 200 bucks, even mm-hmm. in this country. Thank God for insurance. 
Um, <laughs> so in those countries, imagine. But I've been trying to do more interviews and stuff of people you know, from underprivileged populations and sort of understand. And that's also built a lot of gratitude for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just giving them that hope that things will be better. Yeah. Things will keep getting better. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's one of those things. To be able to share your story from one of those countries is really remarkable and inspiring because you can't really come out with your story there. Yeah. So I'm trying to give back in that way so that people of other communities can also build that awareness globally and not just locally here in New York or in the United States. That's amazing. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. And I'm so thankful that you you were so willing to open up about your entire life and share everything that you've been through. It's really rewarding to be able to have this platform where people like you can talk about what you've been through and spread awareness and education on such important health issues that really don't receive enough attention. Thank you for having me on this, Hannah. Um, I really admire what you're doing to create awareness for women's health and all sorts of women's troubles. Pelvic pain is one of many issues that we face and I think that it's such a difficult topic to talk about and um, for people to hear about, but it needs to be done more. And Mm -hmm. uh, I really do appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad that Five Point Physical Therapy, Cara, put us in touch. Amazing Um, place. I've connected with so many people from there, and it's awesome. Same here. And um, I'm sure you have, too. I'm really grateful for this, and I'm really grateful to them for giving me some extra quality of life (laughs) because every bit counts (laughs) every single bit counts (laughs) and as you said when when you don't feel well you realize more and more how amazing it is to feel well oh absolutely because so many people just take it for granted and understandably so but then when you go through chronic illness chronic pain whatever it may be you appreciate the good days like on another level Absolutely. And I think there's something that I had um, read uh, somewhere and it basically said that you don't realize the health that you have until you lose it. Mm -hmm. And it's it's such a true statement until we lose the health and then it's just too late. Yeah. And then you have to work extra hard to build it back up or build it to a point where you can feel like somewhat like yourself again. Yeah. But we really don't realize what health is until we lose it. No. And so I think it's something that that's another like thing that I want to impart is maintain your health. You know, if you have good health, maintain it because it's so easy to lose it and it's so miserable to lose it. You know, if that's the one thing that I would, you know, want to like redo again is take care of myself Mm -hmm. better, you Mm -hmm. know, in my teenage years. But who knows that as a teenager? No one. No one. So it's not even something you can beat yourself up you over. You can't. You can't. But that said, like, I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to be able to create awareness, give all these things a voice that I never had the courage to do mm-hmm. until recent times. So, And it's felt very rewarding to be able to do that. So I appreciate you um, giving me this platform to do that. I appreciate you sharing your story on this platform. (laughs) 
Yeah. Thank you again. And this is really an episode that I hope everyone listens to, whether they have any sort of illness or pain or not, because I just think that the story is so powerful and such a powerful like life story for people to hear it just to appreciate it every day, you know? Yeah. Um, so with that, I hope that everyone gets a lot out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they will. And please leave a comment, leave your feedback. The more comments that are left on all these episodes, the more, you know, the higher it's ranked in the iTunes store and the more, People will see this and listen to it. And once again, the whole point is to spread awareness. So that's what we want. That's what we need. And stay tuned for the next episode. Yeah. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to um, reach out. I'm on um, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yes. uh, Own Your Crohn's, at Own Your Crohn's. Yes. So if anyone wants to talk to you, this is what you do. So (laughs) reach out to her, talk to her. Um, She's amazing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye.